Welcome to Living Word Ministries with director and Bible teacher, Debbie Blank. Each week, Debbie examines current events through the lens of end times Bible prophecies. Please visit our website for information and past programs at livingwordministry.org. Now let's open our Bibles to focus on truths from God's Word with Debbie Blank. A lot of government corruption has been exposed in the past month. Consider the special counsel report by John Durham. He concluded that the Department of Justice and the FBI, quote, failed to uphold their important mission of strict fidelity to the law, end quote. Of course, political motivations were uncovered in his report, and he pretty much came out and said that these departments had no justification for looking into a Russian probe against President Trump. And in this report, The Durham report also revealed that FBI dropped at least four criminal investigations into Bill and Hillary Clinton right before the 2016 elections. These investigations showed attempts by multiple foreign nations to influence the Clinton family, both for her presidential election as well as for the Clinton Foundation. So this report showed that two different political opponents received different treatment. That is not right, especially by our federal government. Then you had a FISA court report, which recently detailed nearly 300,000 FBI surveillance abuses that were logged within a one-year period of 2020 and 2021. But that's not all. Recently, the congressional report, which was issued May 18th, entitled The FBI Whistleblower Testimony Highlights Government Abuse misallocations of resources and retaliation to show that we have a real problem with our federal agencies and how they're using their power with their agenda. That's a real issue that needs to be dealt with in this country. How have these federal agencies responded to the uncovering of these fraudulent activities? (laughs) Well, for the most part, they haven't had to defend themselves because the press either hasn't been reporting it or has downplayed it or has made really excuses for what happened. Many of the leaders are blaming others and justifying their actions as if they'd done nothing wrong. And when people justify their decisions and actions based on their own beliefs or agendas, there are consequences, as those people are now going to see. I'm Debbie Blank. Today, we'll look into Scripture to see how justifying our personal decisions will result in serious outcomes. And I'm co-host Jackie Sailors. We've been reminded over and over again by pious politicians that no one is above the law. But now, with the release of the Durham report, the newly exposed don't seem to think that that should apply to them. The report proves the investigation into Trump and Russian collusion was baseless and lawless. The plotters and investigators knew from the beginning it was totally based on lies. So are these politicians, the Department of Justice, and the FBI, who actually all did what they accused Trump of doing, Are they going to be held accountable, or will they prove to be above the law? So far, it seems they're still denying or justifying their actions. But one thing we do know, no one is above God's law. If someone thinks their worldly position makes them the exception, they need to take a look at what happened to King Saul. 
Mm, Yes. It's so easy in life to justify our decisions. One gal told me when she was getting a divorce that God told her to get a divorce. And at the time I questioned her on it, and she was absolutely adamant that God was telling her because he wanted her to be happy. Well, later I found out she was actually having an affair with someone else. Once she got the divorce, she married the other person and was happy for a while until they got a divorce. The point is we can convince ourselves of anything if we want it enough or if we think that what we want is more important than what's right or what's righteous. And we saw that with King Saul in the Bible. If we look at 1 Samuel chapter 8, all the way through chapter 15, we learn about King Saul being the very first king in Israel. There came a time in Israeli history when the Israelites had come back from Egypt. When they did, God gave them some judges who would guide them and take care of their enemies for them. But that wasn't enough because the Jews wanted a king. And they said that to Samuel, who was the last prophet judge. The people said, we want a king to judge us like all the other nations in 1 Samuel 8, 5. Well, first of all, they're not like all the other nations. God called them to be set apart from the nations to worship the one true Yahweh, God. But they justified in their minds that they wanted to be like all the other nations. And so God said, okay, if you want to be like them, I'm going to allow you to have a king. Unfortunately, in so doing, they were rejecting God as their king. But God approved their request. He instructed Samuel, who again was a spiritual leader at the time, to anoint a man named Saul. He was the son of Kish. He was a Benjamite, which of itself is interesting because the kingly tribe is supposed to come from the tribe of Judah. But God allowed this man to be chosen because he was a choice and handsome man, taller than any of the people, according to 1 Samuel 9, 1 and 2. But we later learn his character because the day that he was appointed king, he was hiding in with the baggage because he was afraid of being appointed king that the people might reject him. So he may have looked like a king, but he didn't have the attitude, the character, the heart, the fearlessness of a real king. So in life, we need to be careful because sometimes we will elect officials because they look regal. They look like they can handle the pressure. It's more important to know their character and where their heart is and what they believe than it is how they look. That's so much the way we are as human beings that I think of Abraham Lincoln right away. And they said he wasn't all that attractive, and yet he had such great character and was a great president, has looked back on as one of our greatest presidents. But we still look for somebody, especially in the television age, someone who looks presidential. We want someone who is attractive and good-looking and well-spoken and, you know, wears nice clothes or whatever. These things that may or may not indicate anything about the character of the person, but that seems to be the most important thing to some people when you hear commentators talk about a candidate. So we need to be very careful about looking past all of that and trying to find the character and the qualifications of a leader. Well, the people got what they wanted in King Saul because he did look like a leader, and he actually was able to be a military leader for them and defeat some of their enemies. Of course, he did that, as the Bible tells us, 
with the power of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit came upon him and empowered him to do those things. Well, we're told in 1 Samuel 10:18 that Saul was anointed king by the prophet Samuel, who then told Saul to, quote, go down before me to Gilgal, and behold, I will come down to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you should do. Did you notice that Samuel said he's going to come down and offer burnt offerings? He was a prophet. He was a judge. He was able to do those things at that time. But if we know the directions and the laws for the Israelites, as a Benjamite, Saul could not offer sacrifices. That was left to the priests. It was left to the Levites. So keep that in mind. He's given one directive by Saul. What did he do? Well, before he came down to Gilgal to meet Samuel, we're told that Saul actually proved himself as that effective military leader by striking down all the Ammonites and protecting the Jewish people who lived at Jabesh Gilead. Well, that was quite a feat. People were so impressed with what happened by the time Saul got to Gilgal. We're told that the people went to Gilgal and there they made Saul king before the Lord Gilgal. There they also offered sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. He was on a real spiritual high as well as a physical high because the people had accepted him. He had been able to do the right thing so he wasn't rejected and he could move forward in his career. The concern for the people and that acceptance is really interesting. Of course, everyone wants to be popular. It does help a leader to have the support of the people, but a leader has to be more than that. A leader has to be able to step out when maybe the pressure from the people is something that he shouldn't succumb to. So here we are going to see Saul doing something that he was directed not to do. Well, Saul found out that his popularity was short-lived because it was dependent on his circumstances. He had defeated the Ammonites, so the people loved him. But then right after that, the Philistines assembled 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, as well as their people, like the sand of the seashore, to fight Israel. Well, when that happened, the people got scared, and they turned away from Saul. So I want to read now from 1 Samuel 13, 6 through 14, exactly what happened in that time. It said, When the people of Israel saw that they were in a strait, for the people were hard-pressed, then the people hid themselves in caves, in thickets, in cliffs, in cellars, in pits. And some of the Hebrews crossed the Jordan into the land of Gad and Gilead. But as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. So they were really afraid, and Saul's again a little bit insecure at this point. It says in verse 8, Now Saul waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel. But Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering from Saul. So Saul's getting a little intimidated, a little fearful, because the people are leaving Samuel hasn't come, and Samuel's his mentor. Samuel's the one that solidifies Saul as king and gives him credibility, but he hasn't come. So what did Saul do? He says in 1 Samuel 13, 9, Bring to me the burnt offering and the feast offering. And he offered the burnt offering. 
And it came about as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering that, behold, Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, What have you done? Saul said, Well, because I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you too did not come within the appointed days and that the Philistines were assembling at Michmash. Therefore I said, Now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I've not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. Oh my goodness, talk about justifying his actions. He says several things here. First of all, the people were scattering from me, so he was afraid. He was losing his honor, so to speak. So he blames it on the people because they were scattering. Then he goes ahead and blames it on Samuel because Samuel didn't come down in the right time like he was supposed to. Then he excuses it because the Philistines were assembling and he needed to ask for the wisdom and favor of the Lord. Well, yes, he needs to do that, but he needs to do it through Samuel, not on his own. So we see here a classic example of Saul justifying his actions even though they go against the word of God and they went against his mentor, the spiritual leader at that time. So in his weakness, he crossed a definite red line. That was something he knew he should not have done. So to make all these excuses before Samuel, who knows better, he's not going to change his mind. He's going to stand by what's right by God. And so he can sputter all he wants to in front of Samuel, but he's not going to make any kind of an excuse that's going to hold water because he crossed the line. He did something that he was not supposed to do in the face of the Lord. And there were consequences. According to 1 Samuel 13, 13, Samuel said to Saul, You have acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandments of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. Uh Uh-oh, we see what's coming after that. But now your kingdom shall not endure. The Lord has sought out for himself a man after his own heart. And the Lord has appointed him as ruler over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. That's quite a consequence for doing what seemed right in his own eyes. Very devastating because now his family line as kings of Israel would not prevail. The anointing would go to, we know, David, who is considered a man after God's own heart, rather than Saul and his lineage. Is it worth it to do what we think we should do? In our own eyes, we think it's right, justifying it, blaming other people, giving excuses, or is it better to obey the Lord. There's no question as to the answer of that. There's always going to be consequences for walking away from God's truths. He could have trusted God. Look how quickly Samuel did show up after he did what was wrong. Saul disobeyed God, and then Samuel was right there. So he would have been able to offer the sacrifices in the right way if Saul had only waited and trusted just a little bit longer. That's right, but he justified his actions. We cannot justify our actions. There was a time, a little over a decade ago, when I was approached and asked to submit my resume to a large church so that I could be a teaching pastor. Well, I really like that idea 
because I love to teach. It's a gift that God has given me. I've been doing it for decades. And the idea of being in a church where I could influence people was amazing. And I really wanted to do it. There's only one problem. I believe the Word of God is very clear in the books of Timothy and Titus that the pastors of churches are to be men, not women. That doesn't mean women can't have an active role because they can in many ways, but not as pastor. So I started justifying, well, what if I went in as just a leader instead of a pastor? And what if I just changed the words? But I had no peace about it because I was trying to justify how God had prepared me all these years just for this position. But I knew I couldn't do it because it went against the word of God. So I didn't submit my resume, and obviously I didn't get the job. And I'm so glad I didn't, because I would have been going against what I believe Scripture is saying and what I believe God was telling me. I would have been justifying because it would have been something that my heart wanted to do, but it wouldn't have been right. And don't we all do that? It's so easy to justify what we want and to kind of make things look a little bit rosier because we want it. And so when we know that something's clear in God's word and we try to go against it, we should feel a check in our spirit. We should know that we can't do it. But boy, the temptation is so strong and we're so clever intellectually, we can justify almost anything. And we see that happen in our world today. Such terrible things are being justified that are clearly going against God's word. That's why we need to pray fervently about everything, about the direction in which we go to make sure it's God's direction and not ours. Because God will bless us when we obey him. When we don't, there's consequences. And we're going to see that in King Saul again. Because you would think King Saul would have learned from his mistakes, but he didn't. So we turn over to 1 Samuel 15. In verses 1 through 3, Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you as king over his people, over Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. The Lord says, I will punish Amalek for what he did to Israel, how he set himself against him on the way while he was coming from Egypt. Now go and strike Amalek and utterly destroy all that he has, and do not spare him, but put to death both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel, and donkey. Well, that sounds pretty harsh, but if we go back to Exodus chapter 17 and read the story, we'll see that when the Israelites were coming into the promised land, that the Amalekites fought against Israel and tried to destroy Israel at that time. Well, Israel didn't do anything at that time, and now we're several hundred years later, and God says, it is time to destroy these people. I thought Samuel was very clear in God's instructions and that is to kill everyone. Did Saul do it? According to verse 7, it says, Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as you go to Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he captured Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and utterly destroyed all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people swear to Agag and the best of the sheep and oxen and fatlings and lambs and all that was good and were not willing to destroy them utterly but everything despised and worthless, that they utterly destroyed. Is that what God told them to do? No, it's not. God said, destroy everyone, including the king, 
destroy everything, no matter how good it was. But Saul is going to justify his behavior. It tells us in verse 10 of 1 Samuel 15, Then the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I regret that I have made Saul king, for the king has turned back from following me and has not carried out my commands. The next morning, Samuel rose early to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. So Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. What an arrogant statement, which isn't surprising after he built a monument to himself. But Samuel said, What then is the bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? I love that statement because he didn't call Saul a liar. Instead, he brought to light the fact that he's hearing animals that he shouldn't have heard because they were to have been destroyed. So what does Saul do? He justifies what he did. We're told in verse 15 that Saul said, Well, they brought them from Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest they've utterly destroyed. So he's rationalizing it. He's justifying it. And he's blaming on the people. But did you catch a very important statement here? He said, They have kept all this to sacrifice to the Lord your God. Tells you right there where Saul's heart was. Because he's saying that his God is not the same as Samuel's God. Or at least he doesn't know Samuel's God like Samuel does. What a sad scenario. So Saul again justifies himself in verse 20. He said, I did obey the voice of the Lord, and I went on the mission on which the Lord sent me. And I brought back Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choices of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. So he's repeating himself and again blaming after he's justified. What are the consequences? Samuel said, has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination and insubordination is iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has rejected you from being king. Samuel made it very clear through God's words that Saul was justifying keeping these animals alive to sacrifice to God, which is a very important thing to do. But obedience is more important than following those rituals. Saul did not obey God. And then to call rebellion or disobedience the sin of divination, that's about as bad a sin as you could get in the Old Testament. What was his consequence? He was disassociated from God. He was taken away. He and his family would no longer have the lineage of the kingship. He was rejected from being king before God. Those are Saul's consequences, severe consequences, because he chose to disobey God. He chose to go in his own directions. How often do we go in our own direction? Proverbs sixteen eighteen says, Pride comes before the fall, and a haughty spirit before stumbling. Because justification is simply pride, doing what we want to do. 
going against God's biblical directives will have consequences, oftentimes in this life, but for sure in the afterlife. The Bible says that when we do what seems right in our own eyes, the end thereof is death. And that's really what Saul will experience is death, but also death of his kingdom. It seems to me that when we look at Samuel and we compare him to ourselves, our ability and our motivation to justify ourselves causes us to lie. We not only lie to others and expect them to believe it, but we lie to ourselves. And in this case, Saul lied to Samuel. Saul believed his own lies. I think he kept saying, I obeyed, I obeyed. But Samuel didn't believe the lies. He knew. He knew the truth from God that Saul had disobeyed God and Samuel was not going to let him get away with it. What's interesting is if you read fast forward to the book of Esther, you find out that the enemy of the Jews at that time was Haman. And Haman was called an Agagite. Go back to this passage. Who was the king of the Amalekites? Agag. So because Saul did not do what he was told to do, not everyone was killed. Now, Agag was eventually killed by Samuel, but not everybody was killed because centuries later, you have this other man who hates the Jews. Why does he hate the Jews? Because he's an Agagite. He knew what happened to his ancestors at the hands of Saul, that most of them were destroyed, but not all. And he wanted to get even with the Jews. That's why he hated them so much. That's why he wanted them put to death at the time of Esther. It's important to do what God tells us to do because we don't know the consequences of not doing it. These consequences had long-lasting effect long after Saul was dead and long after Saul's kingdom was taken from him. Our decisions, our lies, our justification, our actions, when we take matters into our own hands, can affect so many other people. Perhaps right now, perhaps people we know now are family members now, perhaps people in two or three or four generations. We don't know. That's why I choose to obey the Lord, because I know if I am, he will honor that. And if I don't, I don't know what the consequences are going to be. And I don't want to be responsible for what can happen to other people because I've walked away from God. With all the justification we're seeing in our government for the decisions that they're making, which have proven wrong, we have to wonder what the consequences to us in this country are going to be because God will judge their actions their disobedience to him, but also their ill treatment and maltreatment against innocent people. Everything we do is measured by the plumb line of the word of God. It's our decision whether we're going to obey or disobey. Proverbs 16.20 reminds us, he who gives attention to the word will find good, and blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Will you take a moment right now to evaluate your attitude, your actions, and your decisions in any particular area that you're dealing with or in life in general and see if you're doing things because you want to, because you think you should, because you can justify it or blame someone else, or are you doing it because you're following the truth of the Word of God? 
Are you willing to let go of your preconceived ideas, your prejudices, or your desires for certain outcomes in order to follow God and do the right thing? God honors obedience above sacrifice. That means that God will honor your obedience to his word over doing what seems right in your own eyes. Thank you for joining us today on Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank. This is a listener-supported show. If you'd like to support this program or contact Debbie Blank, you may do so at P.O. Box 540-003, Omaha, Nebraska, 68154, or visit our website at livingwordministry.org. Please tune in each week at this same time for Living Word Ministries with Debbie Blank.